We're going to take the first of our two Bible readings with a very brief reference to a psalm before we preach. So please turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And we're going to read down to verse 26. And the title in my Bible, Jesus Forgives and Heals a Paralytic. Now it happened on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who'd come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralysed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of a crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Can we add in brackets, sir, walking and leaping and praising God? Perhaps we can. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Amen. Well, turn forward in the New Testament to the book of Acts, chapter 3, and the first ten verses. This is what we looked at on Tuesday morning with the boys and girls at Holiday Bible Club. So it's a, a much more expanded version of the incredible story of the healing of the lame man. So Acts chapter 3 and the first 10 verses, a lame man healed. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from them who entered the temple who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, 
walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There's a lovely um, verse from Psalm 72, which I want to lead off on before we uh, have a few thoughts on the lame man healed. And the psalmist writes, Solomon writes these words, He will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. Now, at Holiday Bible Club, when I spoke on Tuesday, we had the old favourite chorus, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his palms to ask for alms, and this is what Peter did say. Now, we're not all going to sing it, but silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And some people say, oh, that's a lovely story for little boys and girls. But did he really go walking and leaping and praising God? Can God really heal people today? I was saying to Ian, the man with the bad hip. Could God really heal Ian so he didn't need to have a new hip replacement? Well, if we believe what the Bible teaches in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to 18, where the Lord Jesus Christ made it very, very clear what the disciples would be able to do in the power of God. And if we take seriously what the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, when anyone is ill, we still do believe that people can be healed. That God, who created us, can recreate us and take feeble bones and feeble muscles and give them new life. Now let's go back a few weeks because it's the same theme today, look and live, as it was a few weeks ago when Lydia's world was turned upside down. Well, we're going to hear about another man whose world was turned upside down and we're going to hear about another man too, not the crippled man whose world had been turned upside down. And we're going to hear about a city or a town where the reputation of the church, that was also turned upside down. So let's think about Lydia, but we're going to bring her into 2023 and she's living in Orton. So... Perhaps she lives in Granville Park. After all, she had a big, successful business. And why not reflect that in a nice house in a nice part of Orton? Perhaps she drove a Tesla and she might have had a Porsche as well for when she wanted to go for an afternoon out. She probably shopped at M&S Food and probably had it delivered too. Her children might have gone to a private school, so they all went to Merchant Taylor's. And she might be a member of a group of ladies who did good. Yesterday there was a big, big coffee afternoon in Orton. It was absolutely full. And they were raising money for Macmillan nurses. And I hope they made lots and lots of money. My headline's going to be, because I've got a, lady, a picture of a lady just about to eat a big chocolate cake, let them eat cake. 
So uh, whether she'll like that, I don't know, but it's done now. <laughs> so there's Lydia in 2023. And then she was converted. How did that conversion affect her life? Did she then say, oh, I'm Lydia in 2023. I better trade in the Tesla and the Porsche, move out of Granville Park, start shopping in Little. No, nothing like that. When we become Christians, yes, things do change, as the Bible tells us in Corinthians. If any man or woman is a new creation, all things do change. But she still lived in the same house. She had Paul and his friends for tea. She still lived in the same city. She was still a businesswoman. But everything had changed. And now she had a new perspective on life. And her world really had been turned upside down. Now let's take another step back. And think of the other things that can turn people's lives upside down. Either for good or for bad. Or because something bad has happened or because something good has happened. I've made a very short list. War can turn people's lives upside down. A natural disaster can turn people's lives upside down. Unemployment can turn people's lives upside down. A terrible crime like the young lad from Lydia who was killed last weekend in, or in, in Ormskirk can turn people's lives upside down. A terrible accident or a horrible fire can turn people's lives upside down. God's in control of all of those things. But there are some good things that can turn people's lives upside down. You might find that great Auntie Nellie has left you millions and millions of pounds that you never knew about. Your life is turned upside down. You might fall in love and your world is turned upside down. You might get a brilliant promotion at work and your life is turned upside down. Or one of the best or the best thing that can happen, you are converted and your life is literally turned upside down. So there's a link between us and Lydia and the lame man. And those early Christians had a reputation from Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Watch out, those people who've turned the world upside down are about. So people knew about them. I wonder if your life has been turned upside down. And this is what people worry about. If there are people who really want to become Christians... They're really, really worried. How's my life going to be turned upside down? Will I have to stop doing that and start doing this? Will my life be unrecognisable? Do I have to give this up? Etc, etc, etc. Underlying all of that is that God means only good for your heart and life and soul. He is not a cruel taskmaster. And when you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you repent of your sin, your life will be turned upside down, but in a good way. So don't believe all the lies that you hear in the world about Christians and who they are and what they're like. 
See for yourself from the word of God when lives are turned upside down, it's only and always meant for good. So don't get too worried if you're seeking after salvation on what might happen next. Because if it's been inspired by God, it's only for God's glory and for your good. So back to our text from Acts chapter 3. And three brief points on three different circumstances in which worlds had been turned upside down. And the first one you might not think is very obvious. But I thought it was after reading through it. Peter's world had been turned upside down. You might just take it for granted when we read about these two men going to pray at three o'clock in the afternoon. Best friends, Peter and John. Why are they mentioned, Peter and John? Do you remember what Peter's world was like and how it was turned upside down? He had been a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who had turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ and denied the Lord Jesus Christ and all the disciples knew it, including John, the disciple that the Lord Jesus Christ loved. What an amazing sign of Christian grace. Not just that Peter was forgiven, but that John forgave him too. John did not bear a grudge against Peter. I don't trust you, Peter. Are you going to let the Lord Jesus Christ down again? Peter, not such a hothead as such, but he was always the first one to say something that came into his mind. Sometimes they were good things. Who do men say that I am? Peter said, I know who you are. You are the son of God. And Jesus said, yes, that's not been revealed by humankind, if you like, or by your intellectual knowledge. The spirit of God has revealed to you, Peter, who I am. So here's Peter's world had been turned upside down. He was now a man who could preach boldly and didn't run away from the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. We read his sermon in the previous chapter from Acts chapter 2 verse 14 to 39 and he is able to say, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord our God will call. And with many other words, this was Peter, he testified and exhorted him, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. What a turnaround in the life of Peter. But Peter also knew about the life and times of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we read from the Gospel of Luke. It had only been a matter of weeks, perhaps, before that Peter was one of the first men to be called. And now here he was, standing in this crowded room, surrounded by all the religious people, when a hole appears in the ceiling and a man comes down and the Lord Jesus Christ says some amazing words to him. Number one, I forgive your sins. 
and to prove he was the son of God, said, Now get up and walk. Peter saw that and it made a deep impression on him. This man, Jesus Christ, is out of the ordinary. He is extraordinary. And yes, Peter's life had been turned upside down. You can read in Mark chapter 16, verse 16 to 18, what Jesus Christ had promised would happen in the early church. And we stand back amazed and say, good grief, are we meant to be doing that? Can people still be healed in 2023? Are miracles still being done in 2023? That's a little bit extreme, isn't it? No, it's not at all. And just because we haven't seen them outwardly doesn't mean to say that God has changed. He hasn't. He can still do some amazing miracles. And we say, because we haven't seen them outwardly, and we all agree with this, he can heal people on the inside. And those who are crippled and disabled and lame by sin can be healed on the inside. And that's just a greater miracle as being able to walk and leap and praise God. But we believe in an all-powerful, miracle-working God. And so we see here that Peter, in his work, was in very exciting times. So Peter's world had been turned upside down. He'd been forgiven, he'd been commissioned, and he was on fire for the Lord. Secondly, the cripple's life was turned upside down. Here was this lame man, but what a canny man. He made sure when mum or dad or friends brought him to the temple, no, don't put me there, don't put me there, put me at the gate. And so if you were going to worship God, if you had a conscience, you would see this crippled man and perhaps your own conscience would accuse you, if I ignore him and don't help him and give him some money, I can't really go and worship God because I haven't helped this crippled man. So you would give some money and the man would smile nice and say, thank you very much, and this would go on every single day. But on the way out, as you'd been to worship God, you would say, now I've been worshipping God and I want to put my belief into practice. How can I help someone poorer than myself or less fortunate than myself? And there's a crippled man looking up benignly. Well, you can help me. So he was a very clever man in a sense, being laid at the gate, waiting for people to help him. And so we can understand, as we read in Acts chapter 3, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Here he was at the beautiful gate, here are two men going to worship. Why wouldn't they solve their conscience and give him money? But his life was about to be changed upside down. John chapter 9, verse 1 to 12, tells us the amazing story. And let me just turn to it. Here we are. John chapter 9, verse 1 to 12, tells us the amazing story of those people and you might think, ah, Roger's dodging the big question here. He's just telling us a nice story about a man being laid 
but he's not said, why are people disabled? Why are people born lame? What kind of God would allow that thing? I'm not dodging any questions at all. If you read from John chapter 9, verse 1 to 12, that's what they accuse the Lord Jesus of. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus comes up with an amazing answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Cue this excellent book, Grill a Christian. Not literally, of course, but... uh, Questions about suffering. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but if you've got serious problems thinking about why are there lame, disabled people in this world? Why is there so much suffering? This gives an excellent, comprehensive answer. In fact, there are several excellent, comprehensive answers to some really knotty problems. That was one of J.C. Ryle's books, wasn't it? We might have that Uh, in the uh, church library as well. Knots Untied by J.C. Ryle. He wasn't a great boy scout or anything like that. It was all the intellectual problems that people sometimes use as excuses for not believing the plain word of God. And if you want to uh, have a look later on or borrow that book, Questions About Suffering, I'll leave it there and you can have a look. So we're not dodging the question, and the disciples weren't dodging the question, but they must have remembered what the Lord Jesus Christ said. In some cases, people have been born in such a state that the word and the work of God might be magnified in them. So like everybody else, Peter and John were asked for arms, but Peter and John, or Peter specifically, stopped And he said something really interesting. Fixing his eyes on him, verse 4 of Acts chapter 3 with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So, every Sunday morning, whether or not I'm preaching, but especially if I'm preaching, I will be up nice and early. And there in the corner, in her little doggy bed, is Pippa. You must not look at Pippa. You must not say the word, do you want to go for a walk? So I will say to myself, or say to Pippa, we're going for a W-A-L-K later on. If you say the word walk, like you would have said the word money or arms to this man... Her ears will prick up, her head will go to the side and she'll jump out of bed and she'll want to go for a walk. So you've got to use a little bit of psychology. Here is Peter. Look at us. Hence the title of the sermon, Look and Live. Because when Spurgeon spoke about this lovely, simple phrase, he mentioned the fact we can all look at the Saviour. We can all look at the Saviour knowing that the Saviour will see us and help us. And that's just what happened here. So, Peter and John didn't give this man money. How cruel. No, they gave him something money cannot buy. Peter, empowered by the Spirit of God, holds out his hand, 
remembering how the Lord Jesus Christ said to the crippled man in the middle of the room, surrounded by all the religious people, get up and walk or take up your bed and walk. And Peter, empowered by the Spirit and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in no other name, holds out his hand. This man gets up and physically walks, perhaps for the first time in his life. Now, if you know anything about the human body, that's bones and muscles and sinews instantly healed. Like we said before, God who created can recreate. And that's what happened in an instant. Now, we don't know how many people were watching and listening and waiting But we do know that Peter and John were not doing this for effect. They really meant what they said. They believed what they said. And so did the man. And in an instant, new life coursed through his veins. Peter, verse 7, took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What more do you want as evidence that the power of Jesus Christ was invested in these two men? In the latest ET, there's one left, it could well be Pastor Billy's, There's an article on Derby Bible Week and there's a great quotation. The man who was preaching back in April at Derby Bible Week said, there are no great men and women. There's only a great God who can make those who aren't great, i.e. us, great. In other words, Gideon, Abraham, Noah, Jonah, Peter, James, John, They weren't great men and women in themselves and they knew it. But they believed in a great God and he made the difference. So if we want to be the centre of attention and claim greatness like many do, the charlatans on American TV stations who are the centre of attention and want your money and they will do great things for you, don't believe them. Christianity is not based on money. Christianity is based on something that money cannot buy, the free grace of God. Hence our opening song, Thy mercy, O God, is the theme of my tongue. We sing to the praise of free grace and mercy. Because if money was involved, how much money would it take? There'd be no limit, would there? And the rich would be saved and the poor would be condemned to hell. But no, silver and gold have I none. And he didn't have any. It's not that he was, he'd left, oh, I'm sorry, I've left my money at home. They weren't working like that. They had everything in common. Story of Ananias and Sapphira was uh, the exception to the rule, wasn't it, a little later on. But here we have, silver and gold have I none. What I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What else was turned upside down after that amazing miracle? Well, it was the opinion of those 
in Jerusalem who were watching this church grow and grow and grow and grow. Remember, it was only a few weeks ago that they crucified Lord Jesus Christ, had been laid to death to, um, in, a, in, a, in that tomb and had risen again. And it was only with the coming of the Spirit of God at Pentecost that these men and women, their lives were turned upside down. And now we see in verse 10, Then they knew that it was he who was sat begging in the arms of the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We have a reputation at Orton Park Baptist Church. People see what we're like, what we do. There's that lovely letter in the back room from the little girl whose grandma wrote about the lovely choir at Orton Park Baptist Church because she heard us singing. That's why we have a note in the church notice sheet, Mind Where You Park. That's a very practical outcome, isn't it? Don't park in front of the cottages, etc., etc., etc. But here, the good folk of Jerusalem, who hadn't seen anything like this before, and there was far more to come, their opinion, view of the church was turned upside down. So we have a reputation here. Now we know that, don't we? Because we're not in the local uh, Ormskirt Council of Churches. And why should we be if they compromise the gospel? And we know that people are watching and listening and waiting. So we have to guard that reputation and know and understand that uh, we have a reputation to guard. And it's the name of the Lord. And so when we come to church and when we worship at church, everything perhaps is being watched and listened. Let me tell you a true story, and I'm not going to mention any names or anything like that, but it's a very sad story about some Christians who had a reputation, but unfortunately somebody had gone to the wrong conclusion. And this is why we must be so very, very careful. And these uh, Christians who we might say were not odd ones out, but they were different. And uh, they would be going to a local shop in a local town and somebody had looked how they behaved and what they did and how they acted and said to someone they knew to be a Christian, "Uh, do you know these people? Yes, we do know these people. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses, are they? No, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. My word, well, they have a very strange... um, lifestyle if you like now we have to be very very careful haven't we that people don't see us as perhaps odd or unusual but they know where we stand and who we are now that was obviously the case with these men they went on to preach they went on to be arrested why would anyone do that if really this didn't matter but this did matter to them And those who looked on saw that lives were being turned upside down and their opinion and their thoughts of the church were being turned upside down. So we have a great responsibility here, don't we? If we say we are Christians, we have a reputation and the Lord's reputation to uphold. Which is why whenever I'm preaching or whenever I'm taking a prayer meeting, the last thing I want to do 
and I hope you agree with me, is to let God down. And so when we come to church and we meet together, the last thing we want to do is to let God down. We want to have a consistent, clear Christian testimony so people know, no, we're not a strange cult. They are evangelical Christians. They sing well. They have a good witness. They do lots of things with their missionaries and their outreach and their children's clubs and everything else that goes on. Their world has been turned upside down. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two men, Peter and John, were. So as remembered Lydia's world being turned upside down and the lame man's world being turned upside down, we must also ask the question and always ask the question, that was in the past, but is my life being turned upside down because I too have come to believe and trust in this one, the Lord Jesus Christ.